listening to the Global Recon Podcast. Here are your hosts, John from Global Recon and Mike from Fieldcraft LLC, giving you the matter of facts. Globalrecon.net, fieldcraftsurvival.com. I'm your host, John Hendricks. I'm here with Mike Glover, the show's co-host. And we have a good episode for you guys today. Um, after last week's episode, uh, we spoke about fitness, about mindset, about what it takes to make it into a special operations unit, uh, passing selection. And Mike did a very good job with that, and we got good feedback from that. So, Mike, uh, can you explain a little bit about the plans going forward in, in that realm? So, yeah, I think uh, just looking at the analytics and getting the feedback from the direct messages and the emails, like John said, uh, it became a very popular episode, and we got tons of questions about what people can do to get a better warrior mindset or prepare for special operations training, what people can do to be more physically fit. And because of that, we're starting a video podcast under Objective Fit. And the benefit of having our guest on today, Tu Lamb from Rona Tactics, is me and him actually started Objective Fit. So for you guys, it'll be a, a, a video podcast that I'll release on my YouTube channel at Philcraft Survival and also on my Facebook.com backslash Philcraft Survival. I'll, I'll launch that tonight as well as this uh, this podcast. All right. So, uh, you know, like like you said, we got two on from Ronin Tactics. Um, you know, we're going to get into that in a second. Um, so, like Mike said, you know, be on the lookout for that objective fit uh, podcast it'll be hosted on his YouTube channel. We'll put up links on the website, and it's basically going to be workouts, uh, you know, that he's done, or you know, over the course of his career that will help get you there. So, Mike, I'll hand it over to you now. So yeah, we have the unique opportunity of having two from Running Tactics on the horn. Uh, two is my boy. Uh, we grew up in special operations together. If you guys ain't following two on Instagram, it's at Ronan Tactics. Uh, as well as mine is at Saw Survivor, SOF Survivor. Two, you there, man? Yeah, I'm here. Hey, Mike. Hey, John. What's up, What's man? up? What's up? Hell yeah. What's up? So, so the awesome thing about about Two Lamb and and our relationship is I've known Two is special operations, and we grew up in special operations together. So I, I want to kick it off and, and give you guys an introduction for those who don't know Two. And Two, if you can, man, Let's kick it off with your bio, man. Let's tell tell people and all the listeners out there uh, kind of how you got started in special operations and got up to the point where we met. Okay. Hey, Roger that, Mike. Uh, so, hey, guys. Uh, this is Tu, uh, Tu Lamb, uh, Ronin Tactics. You know, just a little bit about myself. I was born in Vietnam. Uh, I had a rough start in life. In 1974, after the fall of Saigon, uh, the, the North Vietnamese came over and and committed, you know, the brutalities after the war with the communist regime, uh, took out majority of my family. Majority of my families were from the military, from the South Vietnamese. Uh, so they were fighting the communist regime. So after the war came in, they lined up anybody who was educated, uh, my family members, and just committed war crimes, you know, just, uh, just killed them. So my grandfather at that time said to my mother, hey, my two sons, my two grandsons are not going to grow up to be communists. So he gave like little gold bars to my mom where she smuggles out of country. So it was my mother, 
my brother and I, we, we got smuggled out of country on a wooden boat. So, you know, if you think about like Syria, everything that's going on, everybody escaping, the refugees that are escaping, you know, they're the ones that, that have a life. They're the one that had money. So, you know, you had a lot of like piety going on at that time. So, you know, everybody was trying to murder the guys that are in the, the families that were fleeing the country because they knew like they're the ones that have the money. So that was the first obstacle. We had to escape uh, through these these savages, these these pirates. And somehow, by the grace of God, we, we made it to Malaysia. At that time, the Malaysian Coast Guard, they didn't want uh, refugees going into their country. So they shot at us. Uh, they stopped us. And they, uh, they pretty much tied a rope to our boat, drug us back out in the Pacific Ocean, and shot our motor and left us there to die. So roughly for two weeks, we, we kind of drifted. You know, we were like a piece of wood just drifting in the ocean. People started dying on the boat uh, from a lack of food and, uh, and uh, dehydration. And somehow, by the grace of God, you know, our boat, you know, it just... If you, I, you know, for a religious person, you know, just drifting into that big of a, an ocean, Pacific Ocean, drifting to that lat long at that time when a Russian supply boat was crossing to go into Singapore. I mean, that's, that's just amazing. And they picked us up, took us to the docks in Singapore where we lived in a refugee camp. At that time, like monks came down and took care of us. Well, my aunt uh, escaped from Vietnam and she married a special forces lieutenant. And he was able to expedite the paperwork for us to get over to the States. Uh, so we moved over to Fayetteville, North Carolina, uh, near Fort Bragg. And that's where I started uh, my years in America. So my uncle took me under his wing. Uh, and taught me the ways of special forces, and and then my mother remarried and, to American special forces sergeant. Uh, later became my my stepfather. At eight years old, my my stepfather was teaching me how to navigate, run through the woods, and uh, you know navigate through the stars, and you know taught me how you know continue to speak different languages. I didn't know at that time he was training me to be a special forces soldier. You know so. Uh, it's really weird because during high school, I didn't want anything more than to become a Special Forces uh, Green Beret. At 18, I set off and um, went to Fort Benning uh, Infantry Training, where then I came back to Fort Bragg and I was signed to a LERSH unit, uh, Amphibious Reconnaissance Unit, uh, with 18 Airborne Corps. I spent two years there. I went to Ranger School, and, uh, Amphibious Reconnaissance School, and LERSH Leaders. And Eventually, you know, I just had enough and I wanted to be a Green Beret. So at 20 years old, I applied for SFAS and went through selection and training, uh, got assigned to 1st Special Forces Group in Japan, Okinawa, uh, Okinawa, Japan, where then I was uh, assigned as an assault. Uh, well, I first started to start off with a CSAR team in a year and then applied for the SIF over there in the continent uh, of Asia. So... I went over there uh, to the SIF, got assigned to them, went, uh, got certified in, in all the counter-terrorist training, and then um, eventually made my way over to Fort Bragg at USASOC uh, when the war kicked off. Um, 
in Iraq. So I worked at USOC and that's really where I met Mike, you know, and you know, you want me to go on, on how I met you, Mike? Yeah, man. Let's, I, I, I know on our Instagrams, I mean, first of all, what an inspirational story, man. I, you know, I've known two for, for years and, uh, every even just hearing that man just gives me goosebumps because it's like the American dream. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, me and me and two talk about it a lot. You know, I'm a I'm a product of the Korean War. My mom uh, met my father in Korea, and and two is a product of the Vietnam War. And like you said, just by the grace of God and, and good luck, you know, uh, he managed to escape that country. So, an awesome inspirational story. Um, yeah, let's let's talk about. Um, kind of how we met and then i know there's a lot of curiosity behind this whole double dragon thing man i know it's a number one there was a like 1980s video game that was super <laughs> awesome um, but uh yeah talk about like how we how we met and then uh go into the whole double dragon thing i know i know a lot of listeners probably want to hear about that absolutely mike uh so when i went to usasaka i was working uh in, in in certain entities within our organization and I went to Iraq. It was my third tour in Iraq. And uh, I got a phone call from headquarters and said, hey, you got your twin here. Congratulations. And, you know, in, in that organization, it's pretty rare to see an, an Asian guy, period, you know, as it is. I mean, Asians <laughs> in special operations, I think we make 0.001% um, of, of special operations. I mean, you think you agree, Mike? Yeah, think, absolutely, man. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, it, you know, it's pretty rare to have a, another Asian uh, in in that organization. And they say, hey, your twin brother's here. And he has tattoos and he weighs over 200-something pounds and he looks just like you. Like, no way. He drives <laughs> we both Jeep. had Jeeps too, right? We both had Jeeps. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. We were driving the same Jeeps and um, <laughs> it was crazy. So I, I came back from that tour and I showed up in my team room and there was Mike. Instantly, we hit it off. I mean, it was he was finishing my sentence before I even uh, can finish the sentence, and we just got along. And we 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 love combatives, we love to shoot, and you know we're we're both into school. And in fact, we finished college together, um, fighting the war. So when when um, we started working a lot together, they they knew the chemistry that Mike and I had. So they put the teams together, and Mike and I worked a lot together. And there, I don't think there was one mission that this organization assigned us that we could knock out. And this 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 unit gives us pretty rough missions. And everything that Mike and I came across, we were able to knock it out. Well, that's the name Double Dragon came out. They say, hey, it was pretty funny because one of the sergeant majors like put Double Dragon on it, nice. and and Double Dragon was a uh, a name that was on a video game back in the 80s. I mean, I played it and uh, it was just two guys that look alike and just went around and just beat up people. <laughs> so, <laughs> so when, you know, it was pretty funny because when I walked down the hall, they would call me, you know, Mike and they call <laughs> Mike too, you know, so, you know, was, so, so Mike and I, we, we got along, we, we, we worked in, so much together overseas, especially uh, in Iraq. Uh, we did a lot of missions together, and there was not one mission that we did together that we we failed at. We we always had mission success. 
Well, there was a, a time in the organization where I, I left to go and, and work in different facets of that, that, that unit. And I was in Country X, and Mike was in uh, Afghanistan. And I would always call Mike on a red line just to just check up on him, make sure he's okay. And he, he would do the same for me. And I, he, he sensed that, uh, I think he sensed that one of our conversations that something was wrong with me. And, and to tell you the truth, guys, I just had enough. I, it was eight years going on that, that organization, and I, I was burned out. And it's a lot of close calls, and the, the war was starting to catch up to me a little bit. And uh, he, he helped me out through hard times, but he knew something was wrong with me. Uh, without me saying it and uh, I came back home and he he already had everything lined up he was like hey you know I got an interview for us over in uh, Colorado they're setting up a crisis response force in uh, in uh, continent Africa they're really interested in, in our capabilities let's let's go there so I was really hesitant at first you know uh, you know this is all I knew for the last eight years and uh so Mike, he, he brought me to a local uh, chai tea uh, place over in, in Raleigh, uh, North Carolina. We sat down and we had lunch together and he, he knew how detailed I am. Like I, I asked for certain details in, in a plan, like uh, how long it takes to get to point A to point B. So he broke out a map. It was pretty funny. He broke out a map and it had a time machine on there. So the time machine, he would circle like the major population and the area to get into base and the major uh, main gate. And it was it took 25 minutes and he had all this mapped out. He had all the gyms mapped out. He had all the, the parks and the libraries. I mean, he, everything was just <laughs> mapped out. And I was really impressed by that. So I was like, OK, bro, you got me. All right. So let's let's do this. So we we fist pump each other and we we're like, let's 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 give it a try, man. And uh, we flew to uh, Colorado, and then we got interviewed and accepted. Both of us individually took uh, sniper recce teams and, um, and kind of spearheaded to stand up of the new crisis uh, commander and extremist forces for the continent of Africa. So that's that's pretty much where the double dragon story and and uh, and how Mike and I, we, we met and we kind of finished off our last tour together in, in the, in the Horn of Africa. Yeah. I know, uh, that's so funny, man. Cause I, I think about all those times and they were really good times. Um, for people who don't, for the listeners who don't know what the commanders in extremist forces and, you know, me, me and two talk about it. it. It's a, it's actually a good thing that you don't know too much about it. Um, because of the culture that exists within special forces to be quiet professionals. But I, I like to highlight a little bit about the commanders in extremist force because of the roles that they play and the credit they don't get. And now that me and two are out too, can you do me a favor, man? Can you, can you go into a little bit about, uh, you know, cause we both grew up in the commanders in extremist force as assaulters, as snipers. And we even had, what's funny we even had the same senior 18 Bravo, which is, uh, he, his name's Will Lancaster. I could say that because he's retired now. He's a buddy of mine. But we had Will Lancaster, and we actually had a common friend who uh, was the third Asian in, in the SIF, um, Tung, uh, who affected Tu's life and affected my life and then somehow brought us together uh, overseas when he was killed in combat overseas. 
And if you can, can you just talk about the commanders and extremist force and then go into that relationship that we had um, and how kind of like will and tongue like affected our lives? Absolutely, Mike. Uh, the commander extremist forces, uh, it's a it's a hard organization to get into. You know, you just don't go straight off the streets and get into it. Uh, you have to try out for it. You have to be selected for it. Um, you have to be breeded uh, for it. It's the counter-terrorist direct, direct action armed of each special forces group. So within each continent, you know, continent Asia, Africa, you know, Middle East, so forth, uh, each special forces group have their, you know, commander extremist forces. So for me, I, I started off in first special forces group in C-11. And C-11 was the, the crisis uh, response force for the continent of Asia. So if anything happens in Asia, we were the first ones that respond. Uh, in any hostage rescue type of operations, we were the first ones that responded in, in our individual continents. Mike was in, you know, B-23 where he was, he was fighting a war in Africa and they, they were, they were doing their, their thing over there in the continent of Africa. You know, of course, uh, a lot of, a lot of our AORs would change during the war, but that's, that's pretty much what, you know, the SIF was, was formed to do. Was a crisis response. Uh, we were immediate reaction to the crisis in that that AOR. So you know, with with Mike and I, you know, it's it's kind of funny. You know, it, it's almost like a handoff. You know, Tung was my role model. Uh, man, he he shot so fast. Mike, do you agree? Like he was one of the best shooters. That oh I yeah, had. one of the best, man. A pro. Yeah, and he was so natural in everything he did. Well, when I first came to to uh, First Special Forces Group, I was assigned to Bravo Company. And I'm like, I don't want to go to Bravo Company. I want to go where the guys shoot guys in the face. And they started laughing at me. And they're like, well, you go down the hall and see where you can go. And I'm like, roger that. So I remember walking down the hall into this closed, fenced-off area because it's a, it's a different type of security clearance that you know for this organization. It's a hush-hush organization. But, man, I wanted to be here. So I, I knocked on the door, and uh, I was kicking the door, and the door's clicking on and off. And then finally, the sergeant major opens up the door, and I would walk in. I slapped the parade rest. I was in my starch and spit shine boots. Uh, and I was like, I am Sergeant Lamb, straight out of the Q course, and this is where I want to be, Sergeant Major. He, I remember he had a 1911 on his desk, and he had on civilian clothes, and he was like, so tell me why. I said, I want to go where the action is. And he said, well, you need to go down the hall, and if we want you, uh, then we'll call you. So he goes, get out of here. And he didn't use the, the nicest tone. I've I really watched it now. <laughs> um, so I ran, literally ran at a full sprint down the hall, and here comes this other Asian guy. Now, you, you would think that I'm in Asia, and there's a lot of Asians in, in uh, special operations. There's, there's very few. And Tung Nguyen comes out, and he said, you know, in Vietnamese, he goes, uh, which is my my Vietnamese name. Very few people, you know, says my Vietnamese name. And he said in Vietnamese, he goes, uh, come back in a year. 
And I was scared of him because he was walking out with an MP5. <laughs> and uh, I said, Roger Dad, Sergeant. So I ran down the hall and I was assigned to the CSAR team, which is a rescue team. We rescued down pilots. And uh, I would say about 10 months into that uh, that team, I, I requested to go to the SIF because that's where my heart was. And my team started new at that time. So he he allowed me to try out for the SIF and you know it, we, we had to go to triple canopy jungles and navigate and we, we had our own selection process at that time but uh, it was pretty hard to get in that organization so uh, I, I thought it was an honor that that Mike and I got assigned uh, to be team sergeants in the, in the new SIF uh, for the continent of Africa so you know that was an honor and you know Mike was talking about you know with the mirror image was that uh, Will Lancaster was both our senior bravos. He was the he was a pretty square away bravo, and uh, he ended up being uh, Mike's senior bravo when he was in uh, BC three. So it was kind of like a handoff, you know. So it almost when we say double dragon, our lives mirrored each other, and we were made. We were on a collision path together in 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 that organization at that time, at this stage of the war. So I, I really believe in that. In 2006, uh, when Tung was killed, let, let's talk about that. I mean, we don't have to talk about how Tung was killed, but, um, you know, a lot of people don't know Tung was an operator in B-23. He was a sniper. Um, Tung, you know, affected uh, Two's life as well as affecting my life. He transitioned from C-11, which is the PACOM SIF, and came to the Af- or came to the uh, CENTCOM SIF, which is B-23. And affected both of our lives, but we were actually both in country working for the same task force. Two was working for USASOC. I was working for the SIF. And then, and then, uh, if you if you can, you could talk a little bit about about um, tongue on target. Yeah, that's, that was a hard night. You know, it's um, man, it was that's that's one of the hard. Wow, one of the hard obstacles that I had to um, potentially cross. Um, tongue was assigned to to B two three. And the SIF was, uh, we you suck, uh, this, this organization, we couldn't do it all. We, we could not literally kick in enough doors. Uh, we had so many targets on deck. And that was the time when the, the war was at its height. So B-23 came in and they helped us. Uh, they helped us take a lot of burdens off. Uh, I think uh, 275 uh, was there. The Rangers were there. Helping us out too, so we uh, we went on this target, this 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 individual target, and I, I think what what was so hard about that night was Tongue and I had dinner that night. We we were just joking and jiving, and you know he was my mentor. You know even though I was in an organization, a different organization at that time, he was still my mentor, and he would make sure I'm okay. Um, so we're going on target, and uh, anyways we hit a target and. He, we lost him on this target, and um, we we carried his body off target, and we took him to the uh, Baghdad hospital. And I was number just just sitting there uh, in the hallway, and you know my uniform is just just um, just spoiled in his blood, and I just didn't know what to do. You know, he was just so close to me, and I, I knew we lost him. He was uh, he was brain dead. And we're just keeping them alive, just uh, just enough so we could say our goodbyes. And I just I remember uh, 
the teams were there and I was standing in the in the room where where his body was lying and the team said goodbye and I was just the one that couldn't you know I just could not say goodbye to him and I remember a a hand was on my shoulder and it was my troops armator and he said to you you have to say your goodbyes and uh, he said so everybody left the, everybody left the room and I don't know I just stood there and I just could not you know to this day I, I don't know I just couldn't so it was really hard losing him he was my role model and you know in a way I feel guilty because you know a lot of my first group brothers you know they you know tongue is highly respected guy and you know I just couldn't I couldn't go back to my first group brothers and and told him what happened either so you know it's a rough night so um so that's how we lost him yeah and too I appreciate sharing that story man I I know it's a, a a tough thing to do and and that's what I think so great about you know the band of special operations and kind of like the brotherhood that we exist that that exist is uh you know our ability, you know, our through through different coping me- mechanisms to deal with things, and and I know I remember when when Tongue was killed that night. I was I was working another in B two three, but working another part, uh, another action arm. I was actually on another target set in the vicinity, and um, I remember his memorial, and the whole task force was on on deck and, and, and the task force at that time under um, Stanley McChrystal was a task force that would just go out and smash dudes. So we, we, we were losing guys all the time. And, uh, you know, every single one of those deaths during that period of time were significant and, and were, were great losses because, I mean, these guys were America's finest, really. But um, I remember – that rocket coming in. You remember that too? When that oh, rocket yeah. came in? Absolutely. So, so, so we were doing a memorial and the entire task force is on a tarmac at night and a rocket comes in and hits the tarmac. And it, it you know, the, the ironic part is it, it, it didn't hurt anybody, but I remember it just kind of invigorated and reemphasized the situation we were in and, and everybody had to gut check it. And I remember that night, um, they wanted to stand us down. They wanted to stand B two three down, and, and my team sergeant at the time fought it, and we went out and smashed heads. and And I could tell you, as as a task force, two knows this as well. The task when, whenever we lost somebody, uh, I mean, we smashed heads on a on a nightly basis, task force wide. But whenever we lost somebody, um, people were going to pay, and, and vengeance was going to be an element to that. So moving on to you know that was a tough topic, and uh, thanks for sharing that information, man. Let's move on to uh, your business. So two's got two's got a business for for guys who, and gals who don't know. Two owns a business called Rona Tactics. You can find them at RonaTactics dot com, and of course on Instagram at Rona Tactics. Um, so a little bit of history: me and two started working together on in business when we were still in the military, and it kind of, we didn't do it for profit we did it more for fun and get trying to give back to law enforcement and to uh local um first responders uh to right now in the transition has really started a business that's that's kind of blown up i mean i see it going viral on instagram and other social media platforms and he's getting a lot of good feedback putting out a really good product 
Two, if you can, man, let's let's start off from the the beginning. Like, how how'd you get started with Ronin Tactics, and what's your what's your mission state statement, and and kind of where are you going? What's 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 Ronin Tactics in, uh, ten years from now? Okay, so you know, Ronin Tactics, we we pretty much is a, a, a tactical company. We we le- leverage former special operation operators um, that can truly provide a no sense approach to to. To state art training, to you know, at the top at the top level type of training, uh, we draw from their combat experience. We uh, define the techniques that allow our survivabilities on the battlefield and our teammates. So we're we're taking the the proven tactics and, and we're kind of giving back to to the you know the abiding uh, law abiding citizens and the uh, the military and, and law enforcement entities. During the war, I took a lot of of notes, uh, war journals uh, on my experience, uh, how I thought about things at the time. But in these war journals came a lot of uh, notes about gear, you know, a lot of things that we had issues with. One of the issues we had was uh, the tactical belt issues, you know, like climbing, you know, just at night, climbing under night vision, crossing buildings under night. And um, the belts would shift on us. A lot of gears would move on us when we're climbing over walls and buildings because a lot of these uh tactical belts they were designed on the shooting range they're a great shooting range platform but we quickly found out overseas they did not serve a combat purpose you know not not what we're trying to do not what we're trying to push for so i was able to to take those notes and and uh kind of leverage that experience and and able to get my product lines off the ground so I have a manufacturing plant, and um, it's it's producing Ronin line of products, and and the military, you know, special operations has been using products for roughly two years now, and it, it went into uh, civilian sectors, into uh, competitive shooting sectors, and and uh, the law enforcement. So uh, also, I'm working on a book uh, about my life, and and pretty much talking about my path and how. Uh, my path during my career, um, also when I was born and, and the hardships that we face, kind of like a, a book just to give back to the world my, my life experience. I want to share my life experience because there's a lot of books out there that I reached to when, when I was you know facing my, my troubles. So I want to give back my life experience and hopefully send a message to the world that um, – you know my my life story, and hopefully it can uh, it can help other people out during their time of need. Hey, yeah, two, absolutely. Oh, sorry, Mike. Um, no, go ahead, man. So, two, you also do training. You train like hand to hand combat, um, you know, knife fighting and that kind of stuff. Uh, and you spent a number of years training in those uh, avenues, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, John. So the the combative side of the house, you know, I was always a big combative guy uh since i was eight years old my stepfather started me off uh on combatives and it kind of morphed and then when i was 18 uh you know i continued my combatives when i went to japan i I traveled all through asia fighting and and perfecting a style and i quickly find out in the end there's no sustained styles you know there's 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 different forms that you can master but if you truly want to to be uh, a combative guy, truly want to to inflict uh, I don't know pain on a person and be very effective at it, 
uh, you, you can't just master once you can't just say hey this is the style this is it because you know in gunfighting and knife fighting and everything else you know i we we take in different type of forms so in in my my training that's what i teach i teach uh almost a style no styles you know uh, a, a way that um to give back to society my my life lessons so i was able to develop my own blade line um i'm I'm in with different manufacturers uh, to help develop my own type of uh, rifles and pistols in order to meet, you know, our needs. I, I kind of doing that out of fun. Um, I started a, uh, a tomahawk type of uh, um, concept right now. And that, that's being uh, scripted in production. So the next line of Road and Blaze should be out in, in the next three months. Nice. So you, um, so basically, with your style or, or what you're trying to teach is kind of like a free flowing style, uh, kind of reactive, maybe. Like I don't want to say I don't, and I don't mean reactive in a bad way. Like, you know, reactive to what's happening, but keeping your mind open, and that that kind of allows you to effectively um, engage your target or, or however you want to word it. Absolutely. The majority of the students they want to learn. Uh, you know, defense, but I also teach offense because the the military, we, we conduct a lot of lethal type of operations. So within that capacity, we have to be able to inflict that lethality. So I teach uh, my methods on, on both defense and the offensive uh, posture. Nice. So just for the listeners, and, and we'll give you more information um, as it as it's available, uh, this year, sometime this year, spring, summer, two and Mike are going to come out to New York and we're going to ho- host some hand-to-hand combat uh, knife fighting classes in, in different venues across New York City. So, uh, like I said, as as we get closer to that time, more details will be available for that. Um, so it, it should be a pretty good deal. John, can Absolutely. we need that uh, double dragon seminar? Is, is that authorized? <laughs> yeah. DD seminar? <laughs> It's going to be a good time, man. I'm looking forward to that. To to uh, tell, let's talk about Ronin, man. We're, what you know, we're both Asians, so we both know what Ronin is. For all our, for all the other listeners who who don't know some of the history about Ronin, um, I think it's interesting, you know, because you you put out that name and tied it into tactics, um, but it but it's important, and, and it was. A, I remember you you. Decide, I remember when you decided to name it Ronin Tactics, and it was a deliberate decision based on our understandings of martial arts and 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 really Asian history. Why why Ronin? I think it captures you know the samurai captures the essence of a warrior you know from from the violent lifestyle their their violent lifestyle and they have to balance it with some kind of serenity, you know, uh, an art, poetry, uh, education. And, you know, Mike and I are really big in education and poetry and art. And that's what balances. That's what keeps us whole. But the one thing that Mike and I both have in common is uh, humanity, you know, our respect for humanity. Uh, One thing that I want to get across is in special operations, it's not about how many lives that we have taken. It's, It's rather about how many lives we saved. How many countries have we went into and free from you know, oppression, you know, and that the Ronin, you know, is a masterless warrior, you know, by definition, it was a samurai born noble blood 
and somehow through uh, life, they lost their, their master, their dawn, and they became masterless. So they, they roamed the earth. Um, but back in the 1600s, the, the Ronins were on the earth, and uh, for seeking a food and shelter, they would uh, protect villages from bandits. And pretty much that's what Mike and I are doing right now. We're, we're kind of, you know, we, we, we worked underneath a higher um, – a higher cause uh, through when our country needed us most. And, you know, we're both doing it uh, with the, the aftermath of the war our own way. And I, I started seeking through education again. I started getting in back into the martial arts and it, it, uh, it balanced me back out. It, it was kind of weird because um, one of the books that I, I picked up was uh, a book called uh, The Book of Five Rings by Masashi Miyamoto. Right. And he was uh, born Ronin back in the uh, late 1500s. And he, you know, he was a master swordsman. Uh, he was masterless majority of his, his life. And he would travel around and he, he would fight in duels. And he proved the art of combat. He proved his technique worked. And when he was uh, later on in life, he started, uh, he, he started feeling a sickness in his stomach. And, and he was dying of you know, stomach cancer. So he retreated to a Buddhist cave where he wrote, uh, where he meditated first for three years. And then he wrote the book of five rings. Now the significance of that is that, you know, he, he, he talks about the element of wind, earth, fire, everything that we, Mike and I believe in, you know, we believe in, you know, when, when you're going through a house, you flow like water, you know, you flow like water when you're fighting, but then you strike with fire when you hit them, you know, and, and it, it was kind of uh, weird when I was reading this book that it was written back in the 1600s, but in 2013, back when I picked it up, it was helping me get through uh, hard times. Right. It was helping me understand certain uh, essence of my skill set, and um, so that's where Ronin is. Uh, that, that's why I named it Ronin. That's why I, I I talk a lot about the warrior spirit because I think it's almost lost in today's society that the true essence of a warrior and, and why we do what we do. It's a calling. You know, nobody wants to subject themselves to this lifestyle. I mean, who wants to be miserable for their whole life and lonely? But that's what a, a warrior's life is. It's it's a it's a serving a higher cause than yourself. Right, and, and Miyamoto is probably the most famous, uh, or if he's not the most, he's definitely up there in, in terms of fame and, and notoriety from the feudal era Japan. And, and, you know, during those years, uh, there was a lot of war, a lot of strife. And, you know, w one family takes over and then, you know, his one of their generals assassinate the, the, the head guy. And then, you know, it's a lot of infighting. So uh, out of, you know, a couple of hundred years of Japanese history, Miyamoto is probably the most famous samurai uh, by name. That's right. And Miyamoto fought unconventional. You know, he, he wasn't rigid. Um in, in, in what the essence of a samurai is. You know, samurais were tacticians, but they were very rigid. And being rigid, you're predictable. That's why the, the ninjas were able to to outwit a lot of the, the samurais. Because samurais were so, this is shameful, I can't do this, uh, versus the ninja thought outside the box unconventionally. Miyamoto was the essence of both worlds. He was a noble samurai, a Ronin masterless, so he was able to think outside the box, and he 
he formed his own technique uh, and, and mastered, uh, he taught himself the, the art of dual swords. And doing that, he was able to take guys out of their game and uh, introduced a lot of guys to a different type of warfare or swordsmanship. That, that's why he was able to win majority of his battles. He was able to think outside the box. So I, I, I think with, you know, Mike, getting back to your question, you know, why did I name Ronan? And I know I talked to you about this before, was that I was born out of war. You know, from day one, I'd seen the hardships of life. And all through my life, I struggled. You know, there was nothing that was given to to me. Um, you know, through battling racism, battling life itself, uh, fighting to to be accepted to the organization and climbing my way up through the tears I, I found this i found that uh in the end when it's all said and done you know when when i walked away from a higher cause you know i'm left with me so now i am masterless you know i am running yeah that's some that's some serious deep stuff man and, and that you know, that plays in to, you know, when I think about uh, our careers together in special operations and, and what guys have to deal with when, when getting out and making the transition from being these dynamic, um, you know, multi-tools for the military and just going from that transitioning to the civilian life. You know, one of the issues that we talk about uh, that we've talked about before, um, that me and you talk about sometimes daily is is post traumatic stress disorder and and kind of how it's it's affect it's affected special operation warriors transitions. You know, but you know, out, outside of soldiers period who have the transition and who are affected by PTSD and more narrowly focusing on special operations. Um, tell, talk to us about the transition, man. Was it a difficult path or is it a difficult path from from going, you know, uh, from a special forces operator and transitioning to a civilian, it almost seems to me like Ronin Tactics has, you know, us becoming teachers, whether I'm teaching Phil Craft survival preparedness and you're teaching tactics and giving back, um, that that somehow has has made it an easier transition. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, absolutely, bro. And you're right, Mike. You know, we, we, we carried a sword for so long. You know, and you can't do it forever. No matter how hard you want to, you just can't. And I found out in my 20s, you know, I was full of fire, you know, and and all I wanted to do was travel the world and fight. And I wanted to crush heads. I wanted to go to war. And I remember my first conflict was the, the Philippines. I went in there and all I wanted to do was hunt down Abu Sayyaf and I wanted to kill them. It, it, it's quite weird that during my 20s, I felt a certain way. And and then when I got to USASUC, uh, I started fighting. I started losing. We started losing our close friends. And um, although we lost some, some, some teammates in the Philippines, we started losing a lot in, in uh, close quarters uh, war in Iraq. And I was consumed by hate at one time after Tung died for, for years. I mean, Mike would know I volunteer for everything. I, I travel in almost everything they gave me, uh, every continent sniffing them out and, and trying to kill them wherever they, they stood or hide. And I realized it wasn't, it wasn't good. 
you know, it, it actually, uh, was not good for me. It, 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 it was too much fire and I dove back into education and, uh, and life itself. And, uh, I found out that I found my way back. And I think that's where a lot of guys are having problems, Mike, is, is that they leave the teams and that's all they know, man, you know? And yeah, we, we've done it for so long, you know, for 22 and a half years, I, I've done it. And, but I'm able to dive into other things like, you know, uh, my martial arts and dive back in. But the path of a warrior is, is what the path of a warrior is, is first getting there, getting to, to be a warrior, walking that path, prove himself into combat. And then later on in life, become an intellectual, picking up a, uh, something that balanced, uh, balance them out, poetry, art, and, and then giving back his life lessons, teaching the young ones, the next generation of special operations, what it takes our life lessons and how are you going to live if you, if you choose to walk our path. And, uh, it's not, it's not as glamorous as people think it is. And I think that's where you and I, we're, we're kind of making an easy transition because that's the path of a warrior. It's a natural path for us. Uh, and unfortunately, a lot of our our ex teammates don't don't see that path, and that's where they 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 fall. Yeah, that's some good points, man. I, I just like just like you said, it's it's uh, we we we're losing on average twenty two veterans a day to to suicide, and it, it's just something that's that's becoming an, an epidemic. And you know, we we have resources. John's got resources out there. Um, you know, on the social media platforms, I, you know, I know me and two get hit up all the time from people who are dealing with issues, their own struggles, some of them not even in the military, but uh, you know, the whole point, uh, and to reemphasize two's point is we're trying to give back to the community. And if you, if you guys need help, feel free to hit us up and, and, and we'll try to give it, give you our best advice. Um, John, I know, I know we're running short on time. Uh, you want to go ahead and close it out? Yeah, um, so I just want to say, you know, kind of touching on the PTSD thing, um, you know, uh, a lot of people are struggling and, you know, like Tu said, when he got out, and, and um, for you it's similar, you know, you guys had other things to dive into and kind of help with that transition. So just just on the topic of PTSD for the future, we're going to have entire episodes dedicated to the subject and we'll really break it down and... and um, you know, get into some statistics. And, you know, I think one thing that people don't talk about enough is the majority of the 22 suicides a day are actually Vietnam veterans. So, and, and that is a, that's from a different time. Like these guys were coming back and they were getting spit on, you know, by, by their own, um, the fellow countrymen. So, you know, there's different, each war has different, um, different things that affect the soldier even though it's it's all war you know and you're dealing with the same psychological issues that 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 you come that come from you know fighting and but you know so each war is different you know even though it's it's war it's still a little different and and this is something that we're definitely going to get into much further detail in the future so you know this is it for the uh this session of our global recon podcast uh i just want to thank everybody for listening in and and helping us uh, get to the top of the iTunes charts and, and government category and the national category. And, you know, and, and we're all very thankful for it. You know, we work hard to do this. So you can catch two on his website at ronintactics.com. 
You can find find two on Facebook at Ronin Tactics and on Instagram at Ronin Tactics. Mike's website is fieldcraftsurvival.com. You can find him on Facebook at Fieldcraft LLC and on his Instagram at Soft Survivor. That's S-O-F Survivor. My website is globalrecon.net. My Facebook is FB Recon and my Instagram is IG Recon. So, you know, this is a great session. I enjoyed uh, having two on for the session. And uh, two, is there anything you want to close with? No, I just appreciate what you guys allow me to go on and join you guys. I, I think you guys are doing great things and uh, uh, just keep it up. Nice, man. And um, so that's it. That's it for the episode. And we'll see you guys in a couple of days. Peace.